football is back and the world-famous Superbook Sports is ready for all the gridiron action. Looking for a place to catch the game? Head up the hill to the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk and experience the thrill of the games live on one of our 28 state-of-the-art TVs. Superbook Sports has all of the amenities you could ever want in a traditional sports book. Good food, tasty beverages, and the best view in Blackhawk. Now the Lodge Casino is your first place for fun and for sports. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 for help. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. It's now time for the Mile High Hoops Podcast with Zach By, Presented by Superbook Sports. On your home for the most Nuggets content. Denver's Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. What is up and welcome to... Another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, and as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the pod, reacting to a win in Charlotte, 113-109. to Nuggets get it done. They go to 45-31 and on the season and win their 23rd road Victory of the season, which is a franchise record. 23 wins away from Denver. That's absurd. Why hasn't it felt like it? <laughs> I know like the Nuggets have been a good uh, a team on the road, but a, a franchise record? It feels like that, like a, a light bulb went off uh, my head last night. Like, oh my gosh. Um, this has been a very imperfect season, an up and down season, but... Now we know for sure um, a historic season in that department. A really good, um, well, a really good victory because it was a victory. Uh, in terms of like the quality of the win, I don't know where um, you particularly particularly would rank it. Um, I, I, the, the the Hornets are a, um, a a nice team, but they're they're not anything impressive. Uh, they're a couple games over 500 now, just one game over 500 at home. And for the strangest reason, this team, I, I should have known this trend was happening, but I'm not just dialed into the Charlotte Hornets record on the second night of a back-to-back. But they go to, I believe, an NBA worst 1-13 and the second night of a back-to-back. So just about as bad as you can get. They're in that department, and guess what? The Nuggets went in there, and, and they took advantage of it. Uh, and in doing so, like I said, uh, go to 14 games over 500. Wow. Now just a half game back of the Utah Jazz and two games ahead of the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's about to be lights out for the conversation about uh, uh, the Nuggets participating in the play-in. We'll see what happens uh, on Wednesday night for Minnesota when they play at Toronto, and then they turn around and come here to Denver. So we'll see how the next week shakes out, and, and a little bit later in the week, uh, we'll sit down and really comb through some playoff scenarios uh, and what is the most advantageous thing uh, for Denver. That'll be a little bit later in the week with a, uh, a special guest here on the podcast. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Just a couple of brief thoughts about the game uh, in Charlotte before we move on to two two big picture things and one that I'm very excited about. Uh, the 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 win in Charlotte uh, happened because uh, the Nuggets happened to have the best player on the planet uh, that plays basketball playing for their team. Jokic goes for 26 points, 19 rebounds, 11 assists. 
That is his 19th triple-double of the season. And to put it in context, when I say 19th triple-double of the season, how much exactly is that? Well, if you look at other NBA teams, Nikola Jokic now has more triple-doubles than the Celtics, the Warriors, the Knicks, the Pistons, the Wizards, the Suns, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Wolves, the Raptors, and the Grizzlies combined. Let that sink in. Nikola Jokic has more triple-doubles than 11 different NBA teams combined. You're talking that's more than one-third of the league. Jokic is making his case on the final stretch of the season much like he was in the first stretch of the season, in the middle of the stretch of the season, but he's doing it when a whole bunch of eyeballs are on it down the back stretch of the NBA season with just, um, what are we talking about here for uh, Denver? Six games left, I believe it is. Or is, is, it, is it seven? Let's pull up the schedule here. Uh, games left on the Nuggets schedule. I could just do some math, but I'm very bad at math on the fly. Three, four, five, yeah, six games left. That's it. Two against the Lakers. Mentioned that uh, potentially big one on Friday night against Minnesota. Uh, We'll see how that shakes out. But in terms of uh, Jokic and the MVP, we're going to get back to a very, very interesting development in that department uh, that, like I said, I'm I'm pretty excited about. Um, But, look, Jokic, not just from the uh, statistical standpoint, uh, although 26, 19, and 11, uh, to go with two steals, Pretty friggin' phenomenal. Plus 21 when he was on the floor. Um, it was the timely nature of it. You know, per usual with Jokic. Just massive offensive rebounds on the back stretch of that fourth quarter. Just massive offensive rebounds. And uh, the Nuggets, just in general, in that department, did a really good job on the offensive glass. 17 rebounds offensively for Denver. It was a 17-8 mar- margin in, in the offensive rebound uh, category. And uh, that led to a whole bunch of uh, second-chance points, 32 second-chance points. That's really, really, really significant. And um, you look at the offensive rebounds for Jokic just by himself, he had five. He had five offensive rebounds. So did Aaron Gordon, by the way. Uh, now, he finished with just seven rebounds, so it's unusual to have five offensive rebounds and just two uh, defensive rebounds, but that was the case for Gordon, who really started um, the basketball game on Tuesday night, or excuse me, Monday night, uh, against Charlotte. As good as we have seen him start a game, maybe dating back to like maybe his first game against the Orlando Magic uh, when he faced his former team, and you could just see a concerted effort of his teammates to get him the ball early and off, and then the energy level was there. Look, we've talked about it um, here on the podcast. Aaron Gordon has not played great here uh, over the last month of the season, uh, but you're seeing him uh, here sort of round into shape a little bit. Three games of 20 points or more uh, for Aaron Gordon. So that's a really good sign. He shot um, uh, over 50% from the field. Uh, didn't settle for a bunch of threes, although he did make one. Uh, it has been an unkind um, month in the uh, percentage department for Aaron Gordon in the month of March with a really good sample size. He's shooting about 20%. It's really, really bad. Um, but 
You're seeing him here in the last uh, two games. He went two for three from three against Oklahoma City and went one of three against Charlotte. Not lighting the world on fire, but it's not those one for seven nights uh, that we saw last time that they played Oklahoma City uh, uh, earlier in the month. So uh, not settling, um, being aggressive, right? And we've heard that message from Michael Malone. He said that like when guys are looking at you, they're saying, like, how am I going to handle this guy? And when you take a contest, contested excuse me, jumper or a three-pointer, it's like, it's like settling out of a possession. And you're really doing that defender um, a favor. And they said they had that conversation with Aaron Gordon after lunch the day of the game. And you saw that conversation manifest itself into some really aggressive uh, play. Aaron Gordon must have had, like, and, I, and he's got a career high in dunks this year. He must have had... Oh, I didn't rewatch the game, but off the top of my head, he must have dunked the ball seven times. I, I mean, seriously. First of all, just in general, there must have been 20 dunks in that game between Charlotte and Denver. And actually, it brings up a, a more broader point for the Nuggets that they let guys get to the rim at an alarming rate. And it's really something to put in our back pocket and watch during the NBA playoffs. But they just, I mean, it is El Toro defense a lot of times. It's just guys struggling uh, to keep dudes in front, maybe not enough uh, help on the backside. But you saw, uh, you know, just just too many points uh, simply in the paint uh, for uh, the Hornets. In fact, a half of their points, half of their points for Charlotte on Monday night was scored in the paint. 58 of their 109 points scored in the paint. It didn't matter if it was Bridges or Isaiah Thomas. I mean, it was just happening. By the way, how good is Mikael Bridges? Oh, my gosh. That dude is a uh, super athlete, and when he's um, and he struggled from three, uh, but man, going to the basket and he is just fun to watch. The Michigan State product is uh, well, he's he's coming along, man. That's for sure. He scored twenty seven points on twelve of twenty two shooting, but he went two for ten from three. So you, you take some of those. Uh, we're just talking about settled possessions and settling out of possessions. Um, you're talking about a guy who he didn't miss from two. <laughs> like that's insane. Uh, so he has a big double double for himself. I like that young Hornets team. Um, again, like Bridges, they're kind of coming along. They're not there yet. Uh, have a ways to go. Uh, but I'll be honest. I, there was there was multiple points in that game that I thought uh, it was not the Nuggets' night and that they could lose to that team. Um, well, they they already had lost to that team. So uh, the win on Monday night evens that season series. Uh, with the Hornets. And I mentioned the name Isaiah Thomas just really quick. It, it was so good to see Isaiah out there playing 20-plus minutes, scoring double figures. Uh, man, I just couldn't be a bigger fan of the heart and the stick of his career and the arc of it didn't work out the way that he thought uh, from a performance standpoint, from a financial reward standpoint. And there he just is, man, still out there just freaking grinding. I just... I root for that guy, um, no doubt about it. 33 years old, um, still still after it, still trying to prove something. He'll always have that chip on his shoulder, and it was nice to see him and Mike Malone embrace the way that they did uh, on Monday night. That was kind of good you know, chicken soup for, for the basketball soul there. Um, I thought Monte Morris hit some big free throws uh, down the stretch of the game to, to help seal it. Uh, we've seen him play that exact role before, uh, Monte, and then – you know, uh, having nine assists and and just one turnover, 
there's nothing more Monte Morris than that assist-to-turnover ratio. He's been doing that since he was at Iowa State. A um, couple other things. Uh, the bench was not very good. Uh, Bones did hit a couple big threes late in that third, um, but collectively uh, the bench unit was a problem. You know, it had flashbacks to two and a half months ago and, and what it looks like or what it did look like. Um, we're going to have to continue to, to, to monitor that group and how Michael Malone handles that group from a minute standpoint, from a rotation standpoint, uh, starting in just about three and a half weeks, man. We are less than two weeks before the end of the NBA season, which is why it is so remarkable that we are seeing a photo finish with just such few games left between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic for the winner of the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award. I'm not saying it hasn't come down to the wire like this. I just don't remember, and I just probably wasn't following it as closely. I'm sure there was races that are down to the last tenth of the race. But, man, it feels like every single quarter for Embiid and Jokic matters. And this is so crazy because just yesterday, as in Monday, March 28th, Nikola Jokic was plus 240 to win the league's MVP, okay? That was according to our friends at Superbook, meaning that if you bet $100 and Jokic won MVP, you'd get your wager back, but you'd also uh, get $240. That means that he's kind of a long shot with just six games left. That That's, you know, that's, um again, plus 240, long shot. With under two weeks to go. The next day, the next freaking day after Jokic goes for 26, 19, and 11 in a W that gets him 14 games over 500, it is almost even money. That is the type of dramatic swing we are seeing literally day by day. So it feels like anything could happen at this point. But I think maybe the most relevant piece of information, even more than... um, the, the odds, which are typically emotionless, opinionless, like they don't care about your wager. They don't care about this podcast. The odds are going to be the odds. So typically those are um, the most important thing for me. That's the way I viewed it. But you could argue that this damn ESPN straw poll is actually what is moving the MVP odds. All right, and it comes from Tim Bomtemps. We see this three times a year, and I want to read directly from the article that was released at 6 o'clock this morning as I sit here and record on Tuesday, March 29th. It says, quote, last season, the Denver Nuggets' Nikola Jokic surpassed 76ers big man Joel Embiid in the closing weeks of the NBA's regular season to win the Most Valuable Player Award as injuries to Embiid and the Lakers' LeBron James cleared the path for Jokic to become the first center to win the award since Shaquille O'Neal in the year 2000. Bontemps goes on to say, as the 2021-2022 regular season winds down, it appears Jokic has the inside track to repeat. After Jokic finished just behind Embiid in the previous edition in mid-February, the four-time All-Star claimed 62 of 100 first-place votes in the third and final iteration of ESPN's MVP straw poll, giving Nikola Jokic a clear, though narrow, lead over Embiid and Milwaukee Bucks forward Giannis Antetokounmpo, end quote. Wow. Wow. 
guys, uh, this is getting real. That straw poll, the, the, the last iteration last year from bomb temps was the crystallization for most folks following the story a season ago of that Nicola was actually going to win the award. It was the straw poll because it wasn't close. It was between like Jokic and Steph, I think, and it, and it really wasn't close. It was Steph and Embiid in there, and uh, it wasn't close. And it was like, oh my gosh, this, this thing's going to happen. And I, I'm not going to overly pat myself on the back, but at the start of the season, I said my money was on Nicola. In the middle of the season, I said Nicola was going to win. And then here I sit before you feeling validated because this is in fact the case. And the phrase that I used repeatedly when talking about this was an undeniable case. I said if Jokic makes an undeniable case, the the producers from ESPN aren't going to turn into the voters. The voters are going to cast those votes with real integrity. And those voters do the work, most of them. They do the work. And if you're doing the work, you can look at the raw numbers. You can look at, and and by the way, the raw numbers for Nikola Jokic just happened to be over 26 points a game, 14 rebounds a game, and eight assists. The only player in the league to be in the top 10 in all three of those categories. So the raw numbers, you get a big old check, okay? Then you look at the advanced numbers, whether you're talking about player efficiency rating, on-off numbers, basically every advanced metric says Nikola Jokic is the best player and the most valuable player in the league. And then you have the uh, just the, uh, the natural uh, uh, context of overcoming what Jokic has overcome to have the Denver Nuggets 14 games over 500 without two of their three top scorers is stunning. And what the and we we've been talking about the uh the the Nuggets over under season total throughout the season because we we love it I love it hopefully you love it the Nuggets are going to clear their season total um with in their next uh with, with their with their third win they need three more okay it was forty seven and a half they need three more wins in their last six so they got to go three and three all right that win total was under, and I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of repeating myself at this point from conversations we've already had here on the podcast, but just to reiterate, that win total was set under the idea that Michael Porter Jr., who was averaging 19 points a game a year ago, was going to be available to you. Well, after the ninth game of the season, that we know it was not the case, but it was also under the pretense that Jamal Murray was coming back at some point, and that obviously is no longer the case uh, at all. So, Again, however you define value, because people have been talking about this uh, through the years, like how do you define value? Well, you would be hard-pressed to come up with whatever your value uh, or your definition of value is and have Jokic not fill that box. Seriously. The context, the raw numbers, the the advanced numbers, and also, and I talked about this with uh, Matt Moore uh, on Locked On Nuggets, the uh, uh, the podcast uh, with Matt Moore and, and Adam Mares, um th- this past week. I joined them on uh, Thursday, it was. And and check that out if, if you haven't. Those guys do a great job. I was on with Matt. Some good conversation. Uh, but, you know, uh, we talked about this ancillary, um, uh, this footnote thing. It should be a footnote. In this conversation, is other people, other human beings who cover the sport very closely, 
validate openly the vote for Jokic. And I know that I've talked about this on the podcast, but it's worth mentioning that in the last two weeks alone, we've heard Richard Jefferson come back out and do a um, about face and have Jokic as the MVP. We've had Bill Simmons say that it's an IQ test at this point. If you're really, if you're a real hoops person, you know that Jokic is the MVP. You got Zach Lowe saying that Jokic is the MVP. You have um, uh, Stan Van Gundy on a national broadcast saying it's Jokic. Here's why X, Y, Z. Like who's not following along here? Where, where's 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 the where's the trouble? You could you could say that this stuff shouldn't matter, but it does. Okay, it does because if you um, are a voter, all right, and you're split, and you're hearing the noise come out against Nikola Jokic, whether it's from, you know, uh, who was it, Ja Morant, you know, tweeting, I thought, you know, thought the MVP had to be, you know, XYZ, and Booker's got his thoughts and all this stuff, right? If you're, if you're feeling conflicted about Casting that yo- uh, uh, vote for Jokic, which you shouldn't be paying attention to the noise anyway. Your vote is your vote, right? You're a voter. But these people are people, right? They're humans. So when you hear some of the signature voices in the sport validate Jokic, I think it could make it easier for one of those voters who is feeling conflicted, um, make it easier for him to cast that Jokic vote. Uh, so I, I hope all that makes sense. But this is absolutely fascinating. It really is. Um, we're fixing to find out. I'm hoping from for, for our purposes here in Denver and for my pocketbook that Nikola Jokic solidifies himself as an all-time great by winning this award for a second consecutive year. It would almost feel like um, um, who, who's a coach from St. Peter's, Holloway, uh, that's going to get the Seton Hall job when after they beat uh, Purdue. It's like they pull off two upsets, but then they, then they beat Purdue too. It's like, what else is there, there, there more to say? What are they going to say now? Right, the old Jay Z uh, uh, song. What more can I say? Right. So, again, I'm hopeful. We're fixing to find out. We'll know in the next few weeks. But the fact that we're having this conversation this late in the season is just a testament um, to uh, to Yoke, no doubt about it. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't want to end the the podcast here on too negative a note, but I'm just gonna be real. Um, in the last two weeks, I have said here on the radio station and on the pod saying that, hey, um, you should probably be putting a base coat um, of expectation that Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray will not be returning this season. Um, just as a preface, we could get news any second now that Jamal Murray just wrapped up 5-on-5 five five and he's ready to come back. And if that happens, I am going to jump for joy. But I'm telling you, I have not been as pessimistic as I am Today, um, again, March 29th, I just do not think at this point these guys are coming back. Uh, I had said here that I thought that either one of them um, would need at least five games of reintegration before, you know, the most important phase of your season, your postseason begins. Um, You have to redefine roles and get into basketball shape and then game shape and then elite NBA player shape. Um, There's just not enough time. There's just not enough time. And and I'm not so sure if Jamal said, hey, I want to come back, if the most prudent thing and wise thing for this organization would be, um, we really appreciate that, but we're going to wait. Because at a certain point, um, the risk outweighs the reward. And you say, Zach, what the hell are you talking about? The reward could be an NBA championship. 
I'm, I'm speaking to you realistically as a basketball fan. I just don't envision that happening. I don't. But here's the thing. The long term, the, the, the risk, the risk versus that reward, the risk could ultimately take that potential award, a, re, a reward away next year or maybe even the season after if you mishandle this here, uh, right here, right now. Now, there's the school of thought. Don't live in your fears. If this guy says he can play with the same force, you go with it. And reasonable minds can disagree on this. I want to make that clear, okay? But for me, I just think it's so important. I would be operating in the most conservative fashion with six games left in the NBA season. I just would. I think the window, and I know, I feel like I need to preface everything. I know windows, you're not guaranteed windows. But I think the Nuggets window is really uh, open for the next four to five years. Uh, considering the youth of their core four, how long these guys are locked up for, I would just be conservative. And um, at this point, it's getting to be—it's getting like cross through that threshold where I'd be like shocked if one of them come, came back. I saw Michael Porter Jr. Um, off a Mike Singer uh, video warming up before the game on a Monday. Maybe he didn't have a full lather, and I'm sure he didn't. But man, he still looks really ginger. Nowhere near ready to compete. Um, at the highest level of this game uh, in the world that, that, that this game has to offer. And then, in addition to that, when it matters the most, and the intensity of these games are so significant and so significantly different from where, say, they were at, you know, on Monday night, where there was like 28 dunks in the game. I, it's just, it does, it's not going to look like that. It's not going to feel like that. And I, my, my expectation, uh, the bar is like a game of limbo, man. It is really, really low to the ground. Okay, uh, that's where we will leave it for right now. The Nuggets have won two in a row, three of their last four. They travel to Indiana on Wednesday evening. And guys, whatever happens on Wednesday night against the Pacers, you know we're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Football is back and the world-famous Superbook Sports is ready for all the gridiron action. Looking for a place to catch the game? Head up the hill to the Lodge Casino in Blackhawk and experience the thrill of the games live on one of our 28 state-of-the-art TVs. Superbook Sports has all of the amenities you could ever want in a traditional sports book. Good food, tasty beverages, and the best view in Blackhawk. Now the Lodge Casino is your first place for fun and for sports. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 for help.